God is at work in the lives of real people behind the scenes. Uh, he's also at work in, uh, in our church in many different ways, including the facility. So I had in my notes that maybe I would include a facility update, but I could skip it if nobody really wants to hear it. Skip it. All right. Here's the facility update. For the last two years, we've had a facility team that has been scouring the area, looking high and low, um, under every rock, behind every tree, for any possible facility uh, that we could end up calling home. We've had um, some duds. We've had some hot prospects. We've chased after some things pretty far down the road. And for whatever reason, uh, we just have not found the one yet. Well, about a month ago, we found uh, a realtor told us that there's a property for sale that might meet our needs. So we began checking it out. Our future facility team walked through it several times. Our elders walked through it. Um, Our staff walked through it. And then earlier this week on Monday, our future facility team met and uh, after a discussion decided unanimously that this building would be a better three to five year plan than staying in stag. Probably not a 10 year plan, but Who knows the future? We at least feel it would be a better three- to five-year plan. So I took that recommendation, and then I talked to the staff on Tuesday, and the staff agreed that this would be a better three- to five-year plan for us than STAG. And so on Wednesday night, we had an elders meeting, and I said, well, the future facility team unanimously agreed this would be a better plan. The staff unanimously agreed this would be a better plan. So let's talk about it. Um, And the elders, at the end of the conversation, confirmed or what the facility team and the staff both said. So later that week, we started conversations with the seller, and we decided to make an offer on the building. We've never done that yet, so that's a pretty exciting step. Are you excited about that? Okay, this is just the beginning of the process, all right? Like between now, if it works out and close, we're talking two to three months, all right? So it's not like we're at the end of the process, and I'm like, surprise. Uh, This is the beginning of the process. We had to, we'd have to negotiate a price, and then if the seller thinks we can come to a deal, then we would have two or three months to do inspections, which would need to be done in the place, uh, environmental studies, zoning, our financing, like a lot would need to be done. And it would be at that point that we could involve the congregation and get you to the site, get you looking around, start hearing your feedback on it. That would kind of be what the next uh, two to three months would hold. But it's a big step. Um, they're going to get back to us this week with their initial feedback. Flat, they could just flat out and say no. And then it's like, mm-hmm. or, you know, they could say yes. And then off we go with the next step of investigating. But I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited that there's total unanimity among all the leaders. And I think God's going to do something special here. Uh, I will share with you more details next week if they get back to us and it looks favorable. Okay, so you got to come back to church next week for more. Okay, now along that same um, line of thinking, two years ago we took up our first and only future facility offering. Uh, How many of you were here when we took up that offering two years ago? Go ahead and raise your hand up. Okay, but look around. There's a lot of people who weren't here when we did that. We haven't really given people a chance to give again to that. We focused on benevolence last year. So um, in December, uh, we're taking up our second ever future facility offering, given that we have this great opportunity. Uh, Now, we want 100% participation among all of those who call Harvest home. Now, the amount is up to you. Maybe last time you went all out, you know, and so this time it's going to be a little bit more, you know, measured. Maybe last time you couldn't give or you weren't even here last time, and now's your chance to go all out. Um, Whatever the Lord is leading you to do, we just pray that you would uh, give a gift in December, any of the Sundays, uh, to the facility fund. 
Make it a separate check, or you can go online. You can give directly to the facility fund, okay? Um, but we would love for 100% participation. I mean, I'm even, we're getting our kids together. We're going to have them raid their piggy banks, you know, whatever it is. But we want everyone to own this opportunity um, in December. So have those conversations and pray about it, and let's get after it. Now, given where we're at as a church, I had, I had planned throughout this series of uh, series is the teachings of Christ, uh, I had planned a couple times to cover what Jesus had to say about money. This is a perfect opportunity to do that. So we're going to cover that for the next few weeks. Uh, let's pray now, and then we'll go ahead and get into the sermon together. Let's pray. Father, we just begin by thanking you that you have provided us with two facilities so far. Three, if you count the facility we used as a launch team. You've been faithful, and you have already proved your power and love by providing us with places to meet. And Lord, we know that you are still at work, you're unchanging, you're faithful, and we know that you are going to provide us with the next facility that will help us to do more ministry and that will help us to do ministry better. Lord, we just ask that if this is the one you've provided for us, we ask that you would make it happen. We ask that you would weave all the different uh, decision makers together in a way that best sets us up to make the greatest kingdom impact. Lord, I just pray that people in this room throughout the week would cry out to you as this is such an amazing opportunity. And my prayer is that you would hear us and that you would provide like only you can. Also, give us ears to hear as we talk about money this morning. Uh, We just thank you that you covered this issue that we think about so much, that our culture has so much to say to us. Thank you that your voice will be heard. And we pray for ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's be honest. Uh, When the topic of money comes up, (laughs) there's something that's true about each one of us in the room, all right? We all would love to have a lot of money, amen? Come on, don't be shy. We all would have a love to have a lot of money, amen? Amen! Life would be so much easier and more fulfilling, and we'd be able to do so many more good things if we just had a lot of money. That's why game shows are so popular, because they try and set people up to give them a lot of money, you know, in one game. I don't know about you, but actually when I watch game shows, I really love to see people lose big. (laughs) Forget about giving them that money. I love to see them go down and the look on their faces. So so I found a clip of somebody who lost big on uh, Deal or No Deal recently, and his name is Richie. Richie's got a big decision to make in this clip. Okay, here's his decision. He's narrowed the game down to two briefcases. He's got one, and then there's one left in the game. He has to make a choice. Does he go with one of the briefcases, or does he take the deal they're making with him? The deal at this point is $400,000, meaning he just says the word, and he walks away with $400,000. Or he says no deal, and he gets to pick one of the two briefcases. One of the briefcases has a million dollars. And the other briefcase has one dollar. Let's see what Richie chooses. Now, for the last time tonight.
that was a good decision. You decided to go all the way you believed in this case. You're going without a safety net. This case either has one dollar in it or it has a million dollars in it. You could get a double cheeseburger. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, a game show puts people in a predicament where they have to make a painful choice between either this or that. In this case, he chose not to be given $400,000, and then it was either a buck or a million, and he walked away with $1. <laughs> I love it. Jesus loved to talk about money. And when he talked about money, he loved to put people in a predicament. Meaning you have a decision to make. The clock is winding down. What is your choice? Jesus talked about money so much, he actually talked about money five times more than any other topic he talked about. Did you hear that? So if you were walking the earth in Christ's day and you're like, let's go hear Jesus preach today. Chances are, he would have talked about money. It was his favorite topic to talk money again, money again, money again, money again. He's on this again? Boy, he's got a really lot to say about money. But if you sat at his feet and he started the sermon, you found out it was about money, would you be like, oh, maybe I should come back next week. Maybe I could ask him to change the subject. Like, will you let Jesus talk to you about money? Will you let Jesus teach you about money? Because he's got a lot to say. And this morning, he makes you decide. He presents you with a choice and only two options. The choice is this. Where will you store up your treasure? It's either on earth or it's in heaven. It can't be both. Clock is winding down. What is your decision? He drives it to a crisis, but really the crisis then unfolds in a process. You see, in the crisis, if you pick heaven, that choice will lead to a million other choices that show your heart. But if in the crisis you pick earth, that choice will lead to a million other choices throughout your life. Jesus wants you to pick treasure on earth, treasure in heaven. Let's talk about how we make the decision and why we should choose heaven. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Now, the context is this. Jesus uh, is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Great crowds have gathered around. So picture like stadium. Imagine if Jesus was here and you filled up Soldier Field and Jesus is going to bring a word. Like crowds of people. What does he pick to talk about? Money. Money. Now, in uh, chapter 6, verse 19, it says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is talking to you about your money, and he's saying two things. He's saying... Don't do this, but do this. The first thing he's saying is this. You can write this down. Stop 
storing up treasure on earth. Stop storing up treasure on earth. Primarily his audience is the Pharisees who are crooked, money-hungry, greedy phonies. They want to profit from their religious service and they'll profit from widows, they'll profit from the rich, from politicians. It doesn't matter how they get it, but they pretty much want to hoard up or stockpile. Getting is the end game and maybe because they want to show it off or maybe because they want it to make them more secure, maybe because they don't want to work, who knows. But he's primarily addressing the people who want to store it up and that's the end game. Jesus says, stop storing up treasures on earth. But this message isn't just for crooked, money-hungry Pharisees. Because there's a part of each one of us that wants to store up more money than perhaps we need for various reasons. So allow this to speak to you, even though we're not the primary audience. Now, some sermons are more about the method. Tell me how I can stop storing up on earth. And I could give you a checklist of ten ways. But this sermon is actually, Jesus goes more about the motives Method sermons answer how. Tell me how. Motive sermons answer why. Tell me why. Jesus is going to tell you why primarily today. Everybody just say why. A little louder now. Why? Why? Why should I? Why? Kids love that word, right? Why? Why can't I? Why should I? Why can you? Why? 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 Jesus is primarily answering the why question. He's giving you a motive to do what he's saying. In the next week or two, we'll talk about some ways, some how, but now we're primarily dealing with why. Here's the first motive. Write this down. Stop storing up treasure on earth. Why? Because earthly treasures will all fade away. Fill that in. They'll all fade away. Jesus says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves. You see the selfishness? I'm I'm laying it up and it's for me. Treasures on earth. Why? Moth. What do moths do? Moths like to eat. Eat clothing, precious clothing, my favorite outfit. Where did this hole come from? Moth. The destruction of your clothes. Rust. What does rust destroy? Well, precious metals or maybe coins back then or things that are, you know, metal that are appliances or, you know, whatever. It's a thing, though. It's rust destroys. Also, it says thieves can break in. So you could lose it through evil or misfortune or unexpected loss. So earthly treasures will all fade away, that should give you the motive to not store them up here. When I think of deterioration or depreciation or corrosion, uh, I think of Detroit. I think of a city that was once booming, that was once rich, that was once glorious, but now it's deteriorating. It's fallen into disrepair. It's Here's some pictures. These are buildings that were once public libraries or uh, public theaters or hotel ballrooms deteriorating. Churches. You can maybe see what once was there through what currently is there. But just hold on that picture now. Just look at that picture. Glorious hotel entry with a history and past famous designer and and you could see remnants of at one time what it was worth but now time has taken its toll jesus is using this to show you your future 
You see, everything you have now, everything that's new, everything that's bright, everything that's uh, untouched by time will one day fade away. Time will take it away from you. If evil doesn't, if misfortune doesn't, time certainly will. And everything will rust, will be eaten away, will depreciate, will fall into disrepair. You're looking at your own future. And based on that future that is coming, Jesus is saying, stop storing things up here because it will all fade away. That's just time. That's just deterioration. That's just dust, what that can do to Detroit. But what about, what about misfortune? Uh, Jesus says thieves can break in and steal. So misfortune can touch or, or perhaps even a natural disaster. Did you hear last week 16 tornadoes touched down in Illinois? Did you hear that? Uh, tornadoes went right past Harvest Peoria as their 11 o'clock service was starting. Praise the Lord, nobody was hurt. Uh, I'm told that their parking team was out in the lot redirecting the tornado as it came by. <laughs> if you look at the map, it went right around the church. Okay, But people in that church, six or seven, lost everything. Here's some pictures from the tornado as it went through Washington, which is just a little north. It had uh, progressed to an F4 by this time. It was only an F2 when it started. Pictures of people who lost everything. Entire homes picked up, cars thrown on the neighbor's lot. Uh, And just pause there. Now what Jesus is saying is, this is your future. It's all going to fade away. Likely you're not going to lose it by a tornado, but you are going to lose it. They just got a rude awakening and found what is true of all of us. It just hit them sooner. Everything they have is temporary. And one day it will all go away. It could happen through deterioration or time or misfortune or evil. It doesn't matter how it happens. Jesus guarantees it will happen. It's a fact. I will soon lose everything. It's unavoidable. It's non-negotiable. It's inevitable. I will be stripped of every possession. It's the nature and fate of this world. Luke 21, 33. We'll put it up on the screen. Say this with me, nice and loud. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth will. The death sentence has been handed down upon this universe. There's an expiration date on everything in it. I thank the Lord for that. How many of you want to live in this universe forever? Not me. Not in the condition it's it's in. It's guaranteed. Heaven and earth and everything in it will pass away. What that means is this. Money has no eternal value unless it serves an eternal purpose. Did you catch that? Money has no eternal value unless it serves an eternal purpose. And hoarding it and stockpiling it and simply getting it as the end game is something Jesus says his followers should not do. Why? Why? Because all earthly treasure will fade away. Here's the second sub-point. Why? Second motive Because your heart follows your treasure. Write that down. It's all going to fade away. And because your heart is going to follow your treasure. Jesus says in verse 21, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Verse 21, for where uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Your heart will follow your treasure. Your heart is leashed to, attached to, inseparable with your treasure. And where your money goes, your heart goes. They're inseparable. Never to be found in separate places. Which means it's not possible for you to say, my money is here, but my heart isn't. You can't say that. It's also not possible to say, my heart is here, but my money isn't. You can't say that. They're inseparable. The kids would say they're besties. Inseparable. The X that marks the spot on your map where you locate your treasure is where your heart will run. And if your heart is after the rewards above, it means your treasure is there. If your heart is after the treasure below, it means that's what you've chosen. Hey, if you follow the money, you find the heart. If you look in someone's checkbook, you look into their heart. You don't need the EKG. It's all right there. Probably one of the most famous speeches of a financial villain is Gordon Gekko's speech in the movie Wall Street where he just shares his heart on money. I heard this at a men's conference a few weeks ago. It was very powerful. Go ahead and share that. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. That is the epitome of one place where you can store up your treasure, one thought of how you can manage your money, one system of doing your own personal financial business. There's two treasuries listed, and Jesus is saying either it's on earth or it's in heaven. It can't be both. What is your decision? He's forcing you to decide, and he's saying stop storing it up on earth because it's all going to fade away and because your heart will follow your treasure. Now, you might be thinking, well, good thing I'm not a corrupt junk bond trader like him, you know. But greed is a dragon that we must, too, battle. It's in the heart of every one of us, and it must be overcome. Check out Luke 12, 15, where Jesus says this. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against what? Against covetousness. Why? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I love that phrase, take guard. If I was going running right at you to punch you in the nose, show me what you might do with your hands. If I was coming at you to punch you in the nose, show me how you would put up your guard. Boxers, right? Like this, maybe. Uh, Jesus is like, yeah, do this with your money. Okay, money. I'm ready. For what? For the siege it's going to lay on your heart to take over and command you. Stop storing up treasures on earth. If I had to lay out in the context here in Matthew chapter uh, 6, Matthew chapter uh, 7, what Jesus spells out. What do the two plans look like? Let me give you a little detail here. Here's the heavenly-minded plan according to Jesus. Just a few, a few points that he shared here. First, chase him. Chase the Lord. Second, give to him through the poor, 
through the church or the synagogue he talked about. Third, trust him. Chase him, give to him, trust him, and then flaunt him. Look what he did when I trusted him. Look how he provided when I cried out to him. Chase him. This is the heavenly-minded person. Chase him, give to him, trust him, flaunt him. What would be the earthly-minded person according to Jesus in this context? Here's the other four. The first, chase it. Run after it. Hunt it. Make it the priority ahead of everything else. Give it your time. Give it your energy. Give it your obsession. Chase it. Chase it. Next, hoard it. Find it and then keep it. Third, trust it. Trust it to bring you security. Trust it to take care of your future. Trust it to bring you joy. Trust it to provide for your children. Trust it to keep you out of harm's way. Trust it. And finally, flaunt it. Look at it. Show it. Let other people see it. Flaunt it. Chase it. Hoard it. Trust it. Flaunt it. That's the earthly-minded way. Chase him. Give to him. Trust him. Flaunt him. Five seconds. What's your decision? Pick. That's what he's saying. There's two treasuries. Now, I want you to understand what he's not saying. He's not saying you shouldn't be earning income. He's not saying having money is bad. He's not saying earning money is bad. That's not what he's saying. It's not that you have treasure that's a problem. In fact, there's no Bible Bible verse that tells you how much you can and can't make. Uh, There's no penny threshold where as soon as you earn one penny past this point, you have a sinful amount of money. The problem is not amount. The problem is not amount. The problem is where your money and your heart are running off together. That's the problem. It's the focus of the heart. It's the flow of the money through the heart. And either you will be serving selfish, individual, earthly purposes, or you'll be after His glory. You can run down the earthly-minded path out of pride, but be careful because you can run down the earthly-minded path out of fear just as easily. Chase it, hoard it, trust it, fear will drive you down that path. It's the heart motive that's in view. I know people who have a million dollars. And I know people with millions who are generous. And I know people with millions who are stingy. Same income, different heart. I know people who are living paycheck to paycheck. They've got a couple bucks to their name. And I know some of those people who are generous. And I know some of those people who are stingy. Same income, different heart. It's the heart that matters, not the income. First point, stop storing up treasures on earth. Why? They're going to fade away and your heart will follow them. Here's the second point. Write this down. Start storing up treasure in heaven. Start storing up treasure in heaven. There's a stark contrast between the transient nature of this realm and the permanent nature of the next. Nothing here will last. Nothing there will fade. Why? Why? Why should I do what Jesus is saying? He gives you a reason. Write this down. Because heavenly treasures will endure forever. Heavenly treasures will endure forever. He says in verse 20, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. 
Have you ever been robbed? How many of you have ever lost something? You've been burglarized, your home, your car, your whatever, raise your hand up. All right, you'll never forget that, right? I worked at McDonald's when I was in college, and I, uh, or high school, and when I walked out after my shift, as I was walking to my car, I realized the door was cracked open and the dome light was on. So I don't think I left the dome light on, so I walked up to the car. There was nobody in it. I opened the door. Stereo's gone. Ripped out of the car, violently, all messed up, cords everywhere. Theft. And I'll never forget what that felt like. It fe- I was afraid. Is, is he still around? Is he going to come and take my wallet? You know, uh, fear, but also this feeling of being uh, violated, of like, who would take that? Who would steal and, and run off? You know, one day I'm going to be a senior pastor and you just rob me? Huh? It's going to catch up with you in heaven. <laughs> no, I didn't know that at the time. But on judgment day, I'm going to be watching out to see who did that. Theft, it hurts, right? And Jesus is pointing out a stark contrast. Why would I store up my treasure in heaven? Here, it could get taken. There, nothing can take it from you. You could walk out on your driveway in heaven with a briefcase filled with $10,000 and just leave it there. And 10,000 years later, you can come back out and guess what? It's still there. Thieves won't steal it. He's, He's showing the permanence and the security that lies in the next world. And he's contrasting that with the insecurity of everything in this world. Check this out. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19 talks about treasure in heaven. It says this. As for the rich in this present age, everybody put your hand up. Everybody put your hand up. Come on now, everybody. All right, given the standard, keep it up. Given the standard of living throughout history, when the Bible uses the word rich, every one of us qualify. Okay? As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life, which is truly life. How do I get treasure in heaven? Uh, Talk about how just a little bit, even though this is mainly a why message. Um, There are rewards in heaven. Do you know that? We're not talking about the heaven and the hell part of judgment. That's already secured at the cross. But your faithfulness to the master's plan will be evaluated on judgment day. And there will be rewards in the form of responsibilities or even possessions of some form that are given out to people based on the faithfulness in in this life. Maybe you feel like that's really materialism. I don't need anything when I get into heaven. All right, when you see the sweet stuff that God has been planning for us throughout all of eternity, trust me, you're going to want some of it. I don't know what it is, but God is planning to reward us in heaven. When it comes to the financial things in this world that are going to be evaluated on Judgment Day and rewarded, here's a few of them. Uh, You might want to write these down. Giving to the needy will get you a great reward in heaven. Mark 10, 21 says this. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Giving to the needy. Next, lending to those you know. You can write that down. Lending to those you know, especially people who you don't really like, but they're in need. Luke 6.35 says this, Love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Wow. People I'm not too happy about, people I don't really like, but they're in need, give to them, 
and don't expect anything in return, and you'll have a reward waiting for you in heaven. Also, investing in ministers or disciples who are in need, possibly uh, pastors in training or students at seminary, young and old, somebody who's like a disciple of Christ who has a need, maybe missionaries, Matthew 10, 41 to 42 says this, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Hey, I got what he got. Why? Because I supported him. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. There's rewards that will be given out. Why should I store up my treasure in heaven? Because heavenly treasures will endure forever. And giving to the needy or lending to those you know or investing in those who are of the kingdom, uh, who are working their way into ministry or who are in ministry, things like that store up for you treasure in heaven. Hoarding it selfishly, fearfully, sinfully, in the end will get you nothing. Do you know the Bible describes in 1 Corinthians that there's going to be some people who arrive at heaven as if they just ran out of a burning building. Whoa, I can't believe I just got out of there. What'd you bring with you? Nothing. I just barely got out alive. And the Bible says that person is like some people who are going to get in heaven and not have very much waiting for them by way of reward because they didn't really invest in the kingdom values. Jesus wants you to know this. Start storing up treasure in heaven. Stop storing up treasure on earth. Why? Well, because heavenly treasures will endure forever. Here's the next one. Because sins of the wallet darken the heart. Because sins of the wallet darken the heart. Or maybe you can write sins of the purse blacken the soul. Blacken the soul. Jesus gets a little poetic here in verse 22. He says, the eye, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. First you had two treasuries, earth, heaven, which one is it? Now there's these two eyes. There's the good eye and there's the bad eye. Which one do you have? Um, we're not going to get into depth on the culturally what people would have understood by this turn of phrase. But basically when he says the eye is the lamp of the body, um, just basically means that the eye is uh, the window through which the light flows. And the eye could, you know, obviously lights up the world to you and allows you to see it. But um, there's more to it than just saying the physical eye helps you see. The broken eye doesn't show you anything. Blind eye, the blurry eye. Um, And the physical truth about a working eye and a broken eye is illustrating a heart truth of the working heart and the broken heart. The eye stands for the heart. The healthy eye works. It sees. The healthy heart sees the needs that God has placed around you. I see that person in need. I see this opportunity to give to you. It's working right. It's showing you what God wants you to see. And so your whole being is filled with this light of righteousness and generosity. The healthy eye stands for the generous person who sees the need and who acts on it with a generous heart. The broken eye stands for the broken heart that has selfish or greedy motives 
and doesn't see the opportunities God has placed in front of them. It's as if, you know, you're colorblind, you can see, but you can't see certain things. It's as if spiritually God is saying there's this form of blindness where it's as if your eye is broken because you don't see your brother who needs. You don't even see it. You don't see this opportunity to give to this kingdom priority. or oppor- It's like your eye is broken and you're spiritually blind to the priorities of God. That's the broken eye. That's the broken heart. And Jesus says, that's a person filled with darkness. If I don't see the needs God has placed around me, I'm blinded to the heart of the Lord and to the opportunities he's given me. Sins of the wallet darken the heart. Thinking of greedy and selfish, tis the season. This is probably the epitome of greediness and selfishness, right? Who is that? Who is that? It's the Grinch. Now, the Grinch had a problem, right? What was his problem? Here's a picture. The problem is his heart was what? Too small. A couple sizes too small, right? And he needed a different heart. And in the end, of course, he got it. Well, same thing is being said of us. Sins of the wallet darken the heart. And if the eye is broken, it means you can't see the needs around you. Your money really reveals your moral intentions. And God wants you to see two treasuries, earth and heaven, pick heaven. Two eyes, broken, bad, selfish, greedy, good, generous, seeing, righteous. And guess which one he wants you to pick? Start storing up treasure in heaven. It'll endure forever. Sins of the wallet darken the heart. Here's the third point. So stop storing up treasures on earth. Start storing up treasures in heaven. Here's the third point. Bottom line, he drives it to a conclusion. Dethrone the dollar. Dethrone the dollar. He gets to this in verse 24. How great is the darkness, he says. Then in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. No one can do it. No one. Bruce, you can't do it, bro. You can't do it. It's impossible. Carol, you can't do it. No one can do what? I love you, money. You're the best. You're my number one. You and me together forever. And God, you are my God. Glorious. Glorious. Sure glad I've got both of them together as equal priorities in my life. Jesus said, one treasury, one eye, one master. Time is winding down. What is your choice? Dethrone the dollar. This is a crisis of surrender. This is all driving you to a moment where between you and God, you dethrone the power of money and stuff in your heart and with open eyes cling to your only master, forsaking what money can promise you out of fear, out of greed, clinging to what God can provide you. Dethrone the dollar. Have you had the crisis of surrender? Has there been a moment where you have, in brokenness, because God has taught you these painful lessons, surrendered your everything, every penny, 
it's all yours. Jesus said that if, unless you forsake all you have, you can't be my follower, meaning he will drive every disciple to that initial crisis point of letting go of everything to follow him. If Jesus begins nosing around in your life, and it's like, sure, you can go in that room, sure, you can go, but then once he reaches for your wallet to talk to you about it or to teach you about it, stonewalled, there's a major heart problem. If, if this is what Jesus sees when he approaches your heart with the, not that one, the next one. <laughs> no, the, the, the safe. There we go. One more. Ta-da. I mean, those first two were bad too. But if when he approaches you, he sees that, you're not talking to me about this, you're not teaching me about this, you're not changing this area of my life. Um, you need to dethrone the dollar. You can't have it both ways. Check out Psalm 52, 7. It says this, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. You've got to make a choice. And that choice expresses itself in a crisis. I can remember very clearly when I was a student at Moody Bible Institute training to become a pastor. I was a pastor and I was part-time and then eventually full-time and didn't even know at that time that God would make me a senior pastor, but um, couldn't afford seminary. Uh, Two little babies at home and Lauren, we committed to her staying home, so one income and financial uncertainties swirling around. And I'm not talking about for like the next model of a car. I'm talking about for like weekly groceries, like where are they coming from, Lord? And God used that pressure of facing the reality of our need and our dependence on him and others to drive me to a crisis of surrender. To say what I already knew to be true. Father, none of this is mine. I, on my own, can't make it all work. And without you, I'm hung. So in a crisis, I can show you in my prayer journal where I wrote it out. Everything is yours. Everything. The house, the cars, the kids. Everything. You already know that's true, but I want you to know that I know that this is all yours. I'm dethroning the power of money and stuff and fear. It's all yours. And once the crisis happens, then the process begins. And every time there's a tight month or all these health costs or another dental bill. The process drives me back to the crisis. Lord, I gave you this. Lord, I transferred ownership of this to you. Lord, I don't know how it's going to work. You've got quite a problem on your hands this month. (laughs) See how that happens? But I'm convinced that some of even the most mature Christians I know have not had that crisis. They're still playing the game. We don't know how it's going to work. We don't know where it's going to come from. Fear, 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 broken record. Fear, 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 fear. Where is your faith? In your money? Got two little girls who are going to get married one day, hopefully go to college, three of them. Where is it going to come? Fear, fear, fear. Faith. I don't know. God's problem. God's problem. Dethrone the dollar. It happens in a crisis. And if you haven't had the crisis, you're still playing games. You think you can have both. But then the process unfolds. Jesus is driving you to one choice that will then express itself in a million choices. Heaven or earth, bad or good, who's your master? And that will unfold throughout your life. 
Jot this down. Dethrone the dollar because no one can serve two masters. It can't happen. No one can serve two masters. Uh, You can't follow Christ and follow stuff. If you try, you're trying to serve two masters and it won't happen. And I showed you a video earlier in the sermon about somebody who lost big in a game show. Do you want to see an uplifting video of somebody who won something? Do you want to see that? All right, because I think this really illustrates what I'm going for here. Um, This person, this couple is up front on the game, let's make a deal. And here's the thing. They've already been given a Blu-ray player with a DVD or the Blu-ray disc. It's already theirs. But the way the game show works is you can trade that for what's behind box number one or door number two or curtain number three. And this couple, this woman in particular, won't let go of the Blu-ray. No, I want the Blu-ray player. She's already lost a car, a small one, smart car. Who wants that? But then second, second, curtain number one was a pet llama. She could have had a pet llama. Imagine how cool you'd be on your block, right? No. Went the Blu-ray place. She said no to a car, no to a llama. Now curtain number three, or curtain number two, and she's still saying, no, no I don't want the curtain. I want the Blu-ray player. Well, let's see how this plays out. Go ahead. Okay, Diana, we're going to show you, we're going to show both of you what's behind curtain number two. You could have won a new Toyota Could have won it. Could have won it. Valued at $16,750. No. So you got $500. You've got a Blu-ray disc player. You get these glasses that are pretty cool. And you get a copy of Monsters vs. Aliens. I love Monsters vs. Aliens. In fact, I wish there was a way that we could watch that movie right now. Because you also win curtain number three. What's behind curtain number three, Allison? It's a new truck. The deal is worth came with the Blu-ray player. Here's what this illustrates. The same choice is before you. It seemed like she was settling for less, but in the end, it proved to be far more than all other options. If you live this way, it's going to seem like you're settling for less in this life, but you are actually going to gain more than is ever imaginable in the life to come. You get it? You get it? But see, I don't want to cheapen heaven by saying that there's like a new truck waiting for you there. Okay. There's a new universe waiting for you there. The streets are gold. The gates are pearl. The walls are gemstones. It will be filled with the people that you and I reach for Christ in this world who will thank you forever. And sacrificing the things of this life because you understand what's waiting for you in the next is what Jesus is calling you to do. Two treasuries, two eyes, two masters, one choice that will show up in a million decisions that follow. If you bank on this world, you will lose and you will lose everything. If you aim for the next world, you will gain and you will gain everything. Let's pray. Father, this text that comes from the Lord Jesus, our Savior, is so convicting. And uh, throughout the week, my heart was so struck with the reality of needing to go back to the crisis. Needing to beat back that dragon of greed. Needing to 
turn away from the lure of materialism, needing to find the needs that are all around me and see them. Um, Father, I know everyone feels that same conviction, so I just personally want to pray and recommit myself to you financially, and I just trust that there are perhaps some in the room here who want to do the same. So, Father, I just want to confess again with my heart, uh, Jesus, that you are Lord of my life, not landlord over part of my life, Lord over all, including my finances. You own everything. You've given me everything. I will lose everything. So Lord, I pray that you would help me break the power that money has over my heart again. I pray that you would decrease the power that stuff has over my mind again. Lord, I pray that you would free my heart to be generous. Free my heart from the bondage that comes when crippling fear convinces me to cling to money. Father, I ask that you would fix my eyes, fix them when they're broken, to see those in need, to see your priorities. Father, I pray that you would fill my heart with joy at the thought of the heavenly treasure that you have stored up for me. We thank you, Lord. Forgive us for our sins. Help us and teach us to grow in this area. And I trust that as we walk by faith, you will prove faithful, as you always have. In Jesus' name.